Hello and welcome to Mobile Interactions Now, the podcast where industry pros share firsthand experiences on making mobile experiences work. I'm Chris and I'm part of the team here at Tentech. On today's episode, we have Eric Roulette, the Global Support Manager of Huddle. Gene and Eric discuss the fast-changing relationships between sports and tech and focus on communication tools used by tech companies to support their users that get the most out of new features. So without further ado, let's jump right into the interview. Take it away, Gene. Why don't you give the listeners a little bit more about your background, because I cover some in the intro, but I'm sure that would like to hear more. Yeah, my name is Eric Brulette, and I'm currently our global support manager here at Huddle. I'm focused on delivering a world-class support experience to all of our customers across the globe. So we have a team of about 100 spread out into eight different countries, focusing on the, on that world-class experience for our customers. So my role and responsibility is ensuring that our team has the right tools, the processes, and everything in between to deliver that experience to all of our customers. Great. You've got a lot of great background to cover what we are going to talk about today, which is basically how communication tools are being used to improve customer experience by especially support staff. So recently we are seeing a lot of changes happening in how companies are engaging and supporting their customers to get the most out of their products and services and basically even helping them share their experiences with others. So using various communications channels. So that's the first place I want to start with. Sure, that sounds great. Given the broad visibility and user base that you are dealing with, and and the fact that your company is one of the fastest growing companies in the United States, if I'm not mistaken, it will be interesting to hear some examples of things that used to be handled differently in the past and now handled with new communication strategies and tools. So any examples you want to start with? Yeah, historically... Uh, when I joined Huddle back in 2011, uh, we had about 2,000 customers at that time. And really how we serviced those customers was via phone. So we trained our our coaches that our phone lines are going to be open during uh, given times. They're going to be able to reach us, uh, and we're going to have a pretty quick response. As we progressed uh, throughout the years, we've identified ways to to meet our customers where they are. So Email was a huge focus. Chat is a, is a large focus for us as well. Um, and then as we expand into our elite market, um, and our elite market is considered to be the top tier sports teams across the globe. So the, you think about the Division One college basketball teams, the National Basketball Association, the English Premier League, all of those teams use our service. And they communicate to, with us uh, whatever's comfortable in their way. So via text, uh, phone call, in-person training, all that types of stuff is really the main ways that we, we service our customers. Uh, that sounds like many different things are triggering changes you have to do. I mean, I think you mentioned the customer um, you know, preference in terms of where they are. You're just basically following where they are and as well as some of the changes happening internally as well. So like 
can you take one example, a specific example, perhaps you can just kind of walk us through the process a little bit, meaning, you know, the strategizing part of it and perhaps testing it out a little bit before you go, you know, start chatting or in, and all the way to actual deployment. Yeah, so I'll take chat, for example. Chat uh, was implemented on our team in 2012. And we really learned that the strategy behind that is you need, need to meet your customers where they are. Uh, so anywhere on our website, be there in the bottom right-hand corner for your customers so that they can chat with you. So if they have questions on the video page or the team management page, wherever they're at on huddle.com, uh, we want to be there to, to service them. So we tried it uh, with a few customers to start. It was a pretty big hit. Uh, so we started rolling it out to all of our competitive customers, uh, competitive coaches across the globe. And now it's one of our uh, most frequented ways that customers get in contact with us. So the strategy there is really meet your customers where they are. Don't make it hard for them to contact your support team so that you're breaking down the roadblocks, the barriers that they have to efficiently use your tools. And we see that chat and instant messaging and text messaging and all those types of tools out there are a way that we can leverage leverage that strategy and continue to push forward. I mean, in that process, when, when you are strategizing and, and testing things out, I think you mentioned with the coaches and rolling it out uh, broader, um, which part of the process you found it most challenging or you know more time-consuming, anything, something more specific that you want to share with people who are thinking to do you know same thing that you went through? Absolutely. I would say our biggest challenge from the very beginning and even up until today is staffing, ensuring that we have adequate number of people that are available to chat with our customers while not putting phones and emails and other avenues of communication to the side. So staffing levels is something that we keep an eye on pretty regularly. We do some pretty complex forecasting models during non-peak times to ensure that we're staffing our team uh, in the best way possible, knowing that that is going to be a way that our our users want to get in contact with us, along with phones and emails and everything like that. So it's a continual challenge to ensure that our team is staffed to meet the demand and the needs of our customers. The mix of your users really um, look interesting to me. I mean, you got coaches and recruiters and you know the the players and on all different levels and and their fans and I'm sure there are some emotional parents and friend you know, family members uh, as well. I mean, who do you spend most uh, resources on, on and and why and, and is there any differences? Sure. So I'll give you a, a background on kind of our, our landscape of, in terms of users. So at Huddle, we segment our customers into two different um, two different uh, groups of people, uh, and that's our competitive and elite. So our competitive uh, group of users is the 160,000 high school, small college teams that are using mainly the, the Huddle.com software. And then our elite customers are really the, the top tier customers, uh, like I said, the, the National Basketball Association, the English Premier League, Aussie Rules Football, really those uh, teams that you you watch on TV every single day. Um, and so when you look at the, the demographic of those two segments of, of users, there's different personas that we interact with in, in both of them. 
on the competitive landscape, we're mainly interacting with coaches. Uh, and coaches are, are more than just coaches. They're the video coordinator. They're the equipment manager. They have a lot of other stuff going on. Uh, so when they contact us, we want to make sure it's a, a really quick, efficient, and quality interaction with those coaches because we know that they have much more going on. When we shift to the, the elite landscape, we're, we're mainly interacting with the video analysts or the video coordinators. And their role and responsibility is ensuring that the video and the data are aligned to meet the needs of the coaches and the athletes. So when they do meet uh, to go over strategy, game planning, all that types of stuff, the video and the data is right there for them. And so they're, they're the ones that are uh, building, the, building the data models, all that types of stuff so that our teams can be successful. So it really varies by the landscape uh, of users that we work with in who we, who we interact with. The, the differences in terms of, because you mentioned, you know, when you're dealing with the coaches and you have to be like quick and efficient, all those things. And, 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 and I think as a human being and, and you have that uh, differences in how uh, you prefer to be and the, in the communication for the most part is very situational. And it, how do you find like, how do you actually differentiate what kind of communication tools to use with whom and, and, and you know, in terms of uh, the actual experience that you have to deliver? That's a good question. I would say that we offer a suite of opportunities for our customers to reach out to us. So we allow them to choose what avenue they want to want to communicate with us. And then we keep the same level of standard across those lines of communication. So like I mentioned, we want to be quick and efficient. So we're monitoring our, our phone cues, our email cues, chat cues, all that types of stuff. And we want to have a really, um, a really quality experience for them as well. So we have a, a support experience team that's part of our support team that monitors those interactions and coaches our team up on best practices, but also develops training on products that our team might not be as familiar with or needs more training on because we're here seeing higher interactions from from those types of um, from those types of interactions. And the example you cited, and whether that's a chat or or email, because I consider chat being more real time, email being not real time, and mm-hmm. and, and 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 that's you know it becoming very interesting um, choice. I mean, as an example, a personal example of mine, and uh, you know, um, when my luggage was lost, you know, this particular airline company reached me uh, via a messaging app, which happened to be WhatsApp in this case, and which is linked to my phone number to send me actual video uh, of the whole conveyor belt of, 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 of lost luggage and ask me to identify my luggage. I mean, I certainly don't want them to keep pinging me on WhatsApp. You know, I save that for my, you know, mostly personal communications. But in that instant, I found it incredibly easy and fast, and I actually liked it. So in, even though you have a certain, you know, you having, I'm imagining you guys having all the channels fired up and, and watching it, um, and is there a certain uh, situations where you have to trigger a different um, communication tool 
because you know the, the whether that's a content that needs to be communicated that is different how does that work out in real life yeah that's that's a great question example that i'll point back to is uh, back in 2016 we released a instant replay product for american high school football coaches and this was our first time as a support team supporting a big hardware solution. In the past, we have supported kind of remotes and all those kind of small different uh, items. But this is our first time as a as a huddle support team supporting hardware. So it was a bit of a challenge. We obviously would did some brainstorming before the season started to understand uh, what issues we could run into, how can we train our team, all that types of stuff. But as we got into the season, we found that video chats with our users was becoming more and more efficient for us. So they would call in or they'd email in and say they had issues, but we would just FaceTime with them or get set up on a Google Hangouts and really have them show us what their setup is and then aid them and point them in the right direction. So uh, using video to talk face-to-face with our customers was really impactful. And actually what that did is it triggered us to create more robust training for our team. So although we used video video chats in 2016, uh, it actually helped us learn more and more about the product to train our team up and actually move away from using video chats. So it's kind of an interesting um, evolution of using video calls to not having to use video calls because we learned so much through that experience. I mean, I think I found your um, you know, operation interesting on many levels. And, and that's certainly one because you're not only dealing with a very, very wide uh, user base, that uh, you, you also deal with the uh, different products and services. You know, you have this video streaming or uh, analysis tools, but and all the way to like hardware for setting up wireless connectivity and, and things in that nature. Mm-hmm. And, and, I want to delve, I mean, you mentioned a little bit about it, but I just want to follow your thinking process in terms of whether they pose different challenges on in the operation level, you know, any, any scalability problems, any system problems, anything that you really had to work through differently because of that. Yeah, I think it's pretty obvious, uh, the differences between supporting software and supporting hardware. So when we support software, we log literally every single action that our user takes. So in that case, we can identify errors, look through logs, kind of help help us understand where, where the user's at without having to see their screen or do anything like that. Where hardware introduces a, a whole complexity of, of issues. Like you mentioned, we're, we're setting up wireless networks in stadiums. There's interference that could happen with cell towers and all that types of stuff. Uh, there's different cords that need to be plugged in in a certain way. Uh, so hardware is something where we need to be able to kind of see and feel the product along with the user. Uh, so I'd say that the biggest the biggest complex complexities is understanding our hardware at the very root of it, and then how is how is the how is the user going to interact with this hardware? And how can we train our customers more effectively before they start using it? But also, how can we go even further in depth with our support team to train them to understand just about any issue or experience that they're going to they're gonna have uh, when a call or an email or a chat would come in about our uh, hardware setups? 
and and that kind of moments are users usually calling in for uh, real time communication with you, or how does that work usually? Yeah, most of the time. So with our Huddle sideline product, it's our coaches are using it in game. So most of the time, they're setting it up an hour, half hour, sometimes even 15 minutes before their game kicks off. So they're up against a time crunch and we keep our phone lines open uh, during peak times to ensure that they can call us and have instantaneous uh, communication with our support team. So yeah, they're, they're calling us real time because they need to get that system up and running before kickoff happens. Perhaps also, um, you don't have to get too technical, but can you um, share a picture of uh, the customer uh, service uh, system that you are using, how you are orchestrating? Because I think you are um, leading a team of uh, over 100 or something like that. How how you orchestrating this experience in terms of like using a cloud um, service or, you know, anything that you guys are using in terms of tools to make this happen. Sure. So we have a, a wide spectrum of, of tools that we use. Um, so we're using a, a phone solution that's over the cloud powered by Amazon. Uh, we're using Zendesk as our email, uh, tool, uh, Olark as our chat system. And then with, with video and stuff like that, it, it comes with like FaceTime or Google Hangouts, whatever is whatever the coach has um, available to them at that time. How we're managing all of this is every, every single interaction that we have creates a ticket and those tickets are stored within Zendesk and then pushed to our data warehouse. So we're able to track and identify products and issues and use that as a forecasting model for the, for the following years, but also as a reactive model during peak times to understand uh, where users might be getting hung up and they need some some better onboarding or some better training or maybe uh, where the biggest bugs are in the, in the product so we can relay that information along to the product team. So we're using a wide spectrum of tools, but it all comes down to managing our tickets and categorizing those correctly so we can react to uh, any spikes that, that may pop up during the season. And now that uh, really opens up the door to one of the key things I wanted to talk about in terms of, uh, you know, how much of um, measurement you can actually do towards ROI and, and what you found worked the best for you um, and how that, you know, is actually imp- uh, used to actually change your strategies and an implementation that comes after. Yeah, so when we when we think about ROI, the thing that comes to mind for me is our customer satisfaction. So after every single interaction that we have with our customers, we're sending them a survey to rate how their experience was with our our support team and also tell us if there's there's anything that we may have missed. Uh, so right now we're um, pretty standard around about a 95% uh, customer satisfaction score, which is really great. So in terms of ROI, uh, I would say that we're uh, we're obviously investing in our tools and our processes and everything like that, but gathering the feedback from our customers to make adjustments on how our how we operate as a support team is really has been really impactful for us, and we measure that through our customer satisfaction scores. How are you actually doing the uh, customer satisfaction scoring? Um, are they like certain interactions? They are asked to um, provide feedback. 
do you find certain channels more effective doing that over others? How, how are you actually measuring this? Yep. So after every phone call and email that we, we have, once the ticket is closed for over 24 hours, we'll send them an email that um, has a link to our survey. Uh, really, I would say between phones and emails, uh, we're getting pretty similar responses uh, with those with those surveys. And we're getting anywhere between like eight to 12% response uh, rate with those surveys. So while we have over 300,000 interactions in a year, uh, eight to 12% of those interactions are, are giving us feedback, which we think is a, a pretty solid benchmark to make adjustments, to provide feedback for our product team, and also measure how we're doing as a support team to see what see where we can improve. You mentioned email and, and voice phone calls, and can you do something similar with uh, some of the chat sessions or, or messaging? Do you send text messages as well? We don't, but that's something that we're, we're starting to really explore is how to, how to measure that customer satisfaction through those channels. Obviously, text messaging is, is, is interesting. Being able to text out a survey would be really awesome. The challenges we face there is um, having the, the user's exact phone number because sometimes they're calling us from a school phone, all that types of stuff. Um, but yes, like chat and text messaging uh, would be awesome. We've just found that that email is the has been the easiest for us right now as we continue to explore how to uh, push forward on our on our customer satisfaction scores. And, and jumping to another topic here, and one of the things that you know we've been witnessing in in some of the industry sectors, especially with the retail sectors where a lot of consumers are. Um, and, and a lot of companies are dealing with this um, increasing um, customer base who are wanting to have a more personalized and real-time communications. It's basically, you know, just like what you said, they want the same way they're interacting with their friends and, and to interact with anybody that when they have any issues to talk about. And, and what that brings is this, this of, you know, two-way communication part of this. And how much of a communication, I mean, e- email is pretty much one way. How would you say proportionally, you know, um, you know, what part of a communications uh, is actually happening more of a two-way based, you know, whether it's a chatting or, or a calling versus, you know, one-way kind of notifications and, and emails? Sure. So... Uh, it actually depends upon the time of the year and the the users that we're interacting with. We found that uh, with our football coaches in the fall, they're more uh, prone to be calling us rather than emailing us. Um, so our our percentage of phone to emails actually um, skews a little bit higher on the on the phone uh, side of things. Um, and then when we shift into a basketball season, uh, we found that coaches are are more apt to actually email us. Um, and chat us. So um, it really varies by the by the time of the year. But um, phones and emails are are pretty equal across the board. If we look at look back historically on 2017, I think the difference was like 2,000 more phone calls than emails. Um, and then chats are chats are a little bit lower number. Um, and I think that just comes with us promoting chats a little bit more for our customers and getting that 
uh, in front of them and also training them as well. So like I mentioned back in 2011, our football coaches were trained to call us. So uh, finding better ways to to break their habits of calling us and pushing them to- more towards the the tools like an email or a chat system that allows us to scale a little bit more effectively because we can have multiple people handling multiple interactions at at a given time. So I think it comes down to just training our users the best way to to interact with us. And hopefully as as the years go go down, it's it's more chat and two way interactions like you mentioned. Uh, but right now it's it's mainly phone and email. That's interesting because you, um, your example there, I can see how you're um, kind of directly and indirectly nudging them towards a different kind of communication behavior. But I'm going to put, um, ask you to put yourself in customers' shoes and, you know, being in the field that you are in, I'm sure you're, you're asked to do that a lot. But if you were to think about what the gap might be in terms of uh, what they are expecting or preferring to do versus uh, what they end up getting um, when interacting with you, where you think uh, the the gap is that, that you know you want to address more moving forward? I would say the biggest gap for us is getting our users to the right person efficiently and not creating a, a large barrier of entry for, for them to get there. Uh, so a project that we're working on right now is um, intelligently routing interactions to the right group of people. So there obviously are, are individuals on our team that are more skilled on the hardware side of things, people who are more skilled on the analysis um, side of things. And so we want to get those customers to those people so that they are having a, a an in-depth conversation with them or um, they're getting on their way sooner than if they were just kind of landing into a, a general pool of, uh, of support uh, resources. So, um, yeah, I, I would say the biggest gap for us right now is ensuring that our customers are talking to the right people to make sure that they're having a great conversation. Because I know as a consumer, it's really frustrating for me when I talk to talk to a support team and the person on the other line might not quite understand what I'm saying because I'm using different terminology that isn't familiar for them. Uh, so we want to make sure that our team is is uh, being trained adequately, but we're also creating um, some experts in in different fields so that we can get the get our customers to talking with those experts and get them along the way. And in return, hopefully that increases their um, their buy into Huddle and also in, uh, increases their experience with us as well. That's interesting because I, I see a lot of uh, reports that really points to time to resolution, really, you know, solving the problem when you call in and that efficiency being one of the top concerns that, that you know, customers have. But you mentioned something interesting there in terms of, you know, smartly, quickly uh, routing to the right person who can solve the problem. And, and mentioning the, you know, exploring into the artificial intelligence and to, to get there. Um, how do you feel about this whole general, um, you know, broader, getting broader uh, adaptation of, of use of uh, chatbots and, and other, you know, AI kind of powered uh, communication modes? Are you, are you psyched about it or are you, are you skeptical still? I would say I'm excited, but also cautiously optimistic. Uh, we've 
we've kept our eye on this uh, market for for quite a while. I think it was it was starting to really come to fruition a couple of years ago, and we we read about it, but weren't really ready to jump into the water just yet. We wanted to see some some companies evolve, some other companies kind of test the waters a little bit, and also experience it on a consumer side of things. So that's where we learn a lot about how we can support our customers is how we interact with other support teams. So. I would say I'm I'm actually excited about the possibilities in terms of getting a customer their answer quickly while not having to talk to um, a member of our support team. Obviously, that has tons of operational efficiencies uh, that we can leverage. It just comes down to finding the right tool that we can, together with that company, uh, make it intelligent enough to ensure that the the interaction that our users are having are still up to our standards. Um, so I'd say that's the biggest risk is just ensuring that the the bot is trained well enough and we have the right data um, and answers and resources available for that bot to intelligently help our customers. I mean, we certainly living in, um, in, in an era where, you know, choices are many and, and oftentimes, I mean, we talked about um, different um, methods and all those. But when it comes down to it, when you when you are, you know, back to the whole strategy board and, and think about it. And what are some of the things that are really driving what will really compel you to implement or, you know, take some risk in new technology or solutions? I mean, I've seen some of the industry sectors, for example, where you know protecting user privacy and security, um, you know all of them became huge issue that often triggers using verification requirements and and that that triggers different type of communications channels to be used and all that kind of thing. And each industry and each organization kind of have that um, very significant driver that sometimes pull these things in. Can you think of uh, your situation? In my situation right now and looking over the next couple of years, it's, it comes down to operational efficiencies uh, within our team. So historically looking at our team, we've implemented tools along the way because maybe they were like the, the hot new tool to, to have, all that types of stuff. Um, but we want to make sure that we're, we're optimizing our support team, giving them the tools where they're going to be efficient um, because in return, if, if our support team is not comfortable with, with the tools that they're using, they're kind of confused, all that type of stuff, our tools don't interact together and they aren't integrated together, then ultimately our, custom, our customers are going to suffer. So um, when I think about tools and implementing something new, uh, really the, the questions that come into my mind is how, do, how does this positively impact uh, the experience of our support team? knowing that it will positively impact the experience of our customers. So operational efficiencies is uh, top of mind uh, for me in terms of reducing that time to resolution, uh, reducing the amount of time a customer is waiting uh, to reach out to us, uh, and then finding tools to, to leverage to ensure that we're meeting our quality standards. And this is going to be my last question, but based on all the various um, experience you had, and, and the outcome, the different ROIs these things produce. Um, any thoughts and plans in terms of, uh, you know, new changes you like to make, perhaps within your team, or you want to even bring it to other parts of your company's operations? 
I think we touched on it a little bit ago when we were talking about AI and bots um, and those types of tools. To me, that's that's the future of customer um, of customer support is more two way instantaneous messaging to get the to the user on their way as quickly as possible and get their answer taken care of. So as we look towards the future, that's where we're going to continue to focus a lot of our efforts in ensuring that our customers are getting to the right person, talking to the right person or getting their answer without even having to talk to a person is really exciting, really challenging at the same time. But that's when we when we look to the future of our support team, ideally we're we're leveraging a lot of intelligent tools uh, to deliver a, a great customer service experience to to all of our users across the globe. I mean, to that end, um, other than what you mentioned in terms of the uh, technology maturity itself, uh, what else you think, even internally, what will be the biggest obstacles making that a reality? Internally, it comes down to to the right level of training and focusing on developing developing our internal team uh, to feel empowered to uh, to give our customers a great experience. So, um, as we develop and continue to iterate on our on our tools, uh, we need to stay up to speed and even further ahead uh, with our support team in terms of training, so that we're uh, we're there, we're we're answering the questions, and our team feels comfortable. So. I would say the biggest challenge that we face as, as a support team is supporting the wide spectrum of, of tools that we do offer to our customers and ensuring that we're, we're, we're training them adequately and we're, we're doing everything we can to, to give them the tools and the resources at their fingertips to be able to quickly answer the questions that our, our customers are having. And is there any resource you want the audience to check out to learn more about the topic we discussed today and just simply more of your work? Sure. So yeah, you can, anybody could visit huddle.com and check out our website and kind of check out the tools and and everything that we offer to to our customers. And if anybody's interested in in reaching out, you can feel free to to email me or or find me on LinkedIn. I'd be more than happy to talk um, about anything that I talked about today um, or anything about the customer service industry in general. it's, It's something that I love to learn more about. I love to interact with other leaders in the industry. Um, to learn how they're doing things to improve our processes. Thank you. Thank you again to Eric Boulette for joining us today. You can find out more about Eric and Huddle at huddle.com. That's H-U-D-L.com. To find out more about Gene and Tentech, visit tentech.com. Make sure you search for Mobile Interactions Now in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or anywhere else podcasts are found, and click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Tentech, thanks for listening. <laughs>